Well, our speaker today is Reverend David Miles. Uh, he's a sought-after and award-winning international speaker, a pastor, college professor, business leader, consultant, and radio co-host. He's the president of PDM Enterprises Incorporated, a professional consulting firm that helps clients in transforming their greatest asset people. Uh, he has served for over 23 years as a pastor and theologian, and he's an adjunct professor of biblical and theological studies here at the University of Northwestern. Uh, he's a weekly co-host of the Monday Afternoon Mix with Miles and Arnold on KTIS Faith Radio. Uh, pastor David was an NCAA Division II All-American in track and field at North Dakota State. He has a Master's of Divinity from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Um, he and his wife, Tammy, are the parents of three boys and a daughter. And the most important thing to know about David is that he is a grateful child and a servant of God. So would you welcome this morning to the stage, Pastor David Miles. Good morning. How you guys doing? Good, good, good. I am so excited to be with you guys. I want to thank Darren and uh, Dayton and the president and the leadership for allowing me to come and to share with you guys this morning. Uh, wondering at, where, where's the, the leadership development, uh, the uh, leadership for transformation classes, where are they at? Where's that, where's that Tuesday? Okay, so I do the Tuesday at eight o'clock in the morning, so you can pray for them because they're a little early in the morning. So one of the things I want to ask you this morning, I got a question for you. What do you want? Somebody might be saying like Christmas break, no more homework, things like that. What do you want? Well, listen, I'm a native of Grand Forks, North Dakota. Yes, you heard that right, Grand Forks, North Dakota. I know for a number of you guys, you've not seen a chocolate Norwegian before. Yeah, right? So I don't like Lutefisk. I will eat some Lefse. And see, my parents were in the military. They got transferred from Bitburg, Germany to Grand Forks, North Dakota. And you know, in that particular area of the country, there are lots and lots of blizzards. Now, being from North Dakota, both my wife, who's here with me today, we're both from North Dakota, and my wife is 100% Prussian German, so Germans from Russia, holla, yep. And because my wife is German and I'm chocolate, these are our four German chocolate children. Yes, they are. All right. Our son Jackson is at Grand Canyon. Our daughter Taylor is a sophomore at Champlain Park. Our son DJ is a Johnny up in St. John's. And our son Jaden, he is a seventh grader. Okay? So one of the things about being from North Dakota is this. I love the fall. How many of you guys love the fall? Man, super excited about the leaves. Love the leaves. But what comes after fall, y'all? Winter. Winter, yes. And being that it's winter up here, we have these things called blizzards. And one day I was driving on my way uh, to work and I was coming up to this intersection and I put my foot on the brake, y'all, but I wasn't stopping and I kept sliding. And just then a semi crested the hill heading my direction. So now I'm pressing my brake and I'm not stopping, and I'm still sliding, and the semi's still coming. And do you guys know what I wanted to do in that moment? Does anyone know what I wanted to do? I wanted to stop. Why? Because I wanted to live. But to be honest with you guys, it wasn't always that way. You see, matter of fact, um, 
I should have been a statistic. But not the statistic that you're thinking about. You see, no, in my sophomore year of high school, I failed my suicide attempt. Yeah, don't let all the accolade stuff that you heard, the suit coat, the professor, the radio program, don't let any of that fool you. You see, that's part of my story. And I would have been part of another set of statistics that came out this year from the CDC on teen mental health, where it found that 22% of high school teens seriously con considered taking their own life. 18% made a plan, 10% attempted, and 3% like me required medical attention. You see, I grew up the third child in a family with alcoholism. When I was in fourth grade, I got diagnosed with chronic seizure disorders in a time when that wasn't really well known. And so that was a little bit, that kind of made me a little bit different. When my brother left middle school to go to high school, I was in a school of a thousand kids and I was the only African American. So they had diversity, me. <laughs> you see, one day one of my teachers looked out and say, Oh, little Jenny, little Jenny, you know, one day you're going to grow up. You're going to be an attorney. And you know what? Jenny became an attorney. But then my teacher looked over at me and said, Mr. Miles, you're not going to amount to anything. At best, you'll become a garbage collector. So what about you? Have you ever felt different? Like you're not good enough, smart enough, pretty enough, strong enough? You don't have to answer, because that same CDC report found that three out of five teen girls, 57%, reported feeling persistent sadness and hopelessness. And that was literally double of what the boys were, spent, the boys were experiencing as well. And guys, if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you. You see, there's people who care about you here like Jeff Snyder and Krista St. John at Student Services, Darren Geyer and Dayton Dodge, Pastor Dayton Dodge, and Joe Biacardi and Alita Wicklund and Counseling Services. If that's you, there are people here who care about you. And I want to encourage you. Matter of fact, you should have received a card like this this morning. And if you've gotten that card and you're feeling that, please, please, please go to someone. You see... You see, I had a plan. I had a plan. I had it all worked out. I had it all worked out except one small thing happened. My mom came home early from a meeting and she busted me. And I was rushed to the ER. But thankfully, my story didn't end there. And I'm still here. Why do I bring this up? Because I want to let you know that I, that I see you, that I care. With all the stuff, like, you know, the, the coat makes it look, no, there's things going on. And I want to let you know that I see you this morning and that I care what's going on. Well, a short time afterwards, my locker mate, Lance Porter, Porter P, Miles M, I even did it backwards, see? English lit teacher's like, dude, you still didn't, see? I work with anybody. All right? But Lance came to me and he invited me to this thing called Student Venture. It would become the catalyst of something that would change my life. You know, really, this is one of the reasons why I love sophomores in high school so much. Because it wasn't an adult. It was another 15-year-old who spoke into my life. And since that time, I've been blessed with a bunch of other Lance Porters. 
I've had teachers. Yes, I see you teachers and professors. I've had clergy, family, friends, mentors, and coaches. And it would be my coaches, my track coaches, that I would finish my senior javelin season 14 and one. I'd break our school record. It would stand for over 14 years. I would go on to win state and nationals. And with that, I would then go on to North Dakota State University, go Bison. Yeah. And there I'd be an NCAA All-American and do my bachelor's there. From there, I would go on to get my master at one of the most prestigious universities in the world and actually be named and given the President's Award. I mean, guys, this, this is crazy. With plans to complete my doctorate, guys, listen to me. The kid who was supposed to amount to nothing even had a city name a day after him. Now, guys, I don't say these things to impress you, no but to impress upon you that your condition does not equal your conclusion, that your today does not have to be your tomorrow. And I want to share with you guys this morning three things to change the lenses through which you see yourself, the world, and transform both. And this is awareness, action, and resilience. And in our time of looking at this, we're going to look at three of the key things that you must get. And we'll look at the three roadblocks and challenges that we'll all face. So let me ask you, who are you? Who are you? How would you describe yourself? Well, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, because self-awareness, listen, self-awareness is defined as your understanding of who you are that includes your belief, your personal values, and what motivates you. You see, in the Bible, we're told that we've been made in God's image in Genesis chapter 1. But then a couple of later in Genesis chapter 3, we believed a lie. And guys, I got to tell you, that night in my basement when I tried to take my life, I was believing a lie. You see, but when Lance invited me, when Lance invited me to that thing, I was very aware that my life wasn't working. And guys, listen to me. If you truly grasp and internalize what we're about to go over, it will revolutionize your life. It will change your life. Because at Jesus' baptism, we see three key things. Look at verse 16. As soon as Jesus from Nazareth was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighted on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. Real quick, though you will not find the word Trinity in the Bible, we see it clear right here in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But there's three key things here. Number one, when the Father says, you are my son, that settles the question of identity. I got four kids. What did they do to be earned being my sons or my daughters? What did you do during that? In the same way, Ephesians 1.4 says this, For he, God, chose us in him, Christ, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. I'm not sure you heard that last part. In accordance to his pleasure and his will. You think God's putting up with you. No, he did this according to his pleasure and his what? His will. As he talks about this, we see Colossians 1.27, where it talks about Christ in us, the hope of glory. So as God is speaking to his son, he's speaking to us. So the first one's identity. Number two, whom I love settles the question of security. 
I mean, if God is omniscient, why did he need to hear these words? Yet he did, and it's recorded here for him and for us. Love, love. Now, 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 now we, we, got, we got to settle something real quick. You see, when we're talking about love, we're not talking about love in a worldly way. You know, because sometimes when we talk about love, we say things like, I love my cat, I love my car, I like Snickers, I love my mom and dad, I love my little siblings, not all the time, all right? No, no, no. That's not the love that we're talking about. Listen, we're not talking about the love logic of toddlers. Well, what's the love logic of toddlers, you guys? Well, toddlers have property laws that go like this. If I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. If I'm doing something or building something, say it with me, all the pieces are mine. If it looks just like mine, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If you're playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. If it's broken, it's yours. <laughs> yeah, it's yours, right? And the beautiful thing about God is God doesn't do us that way. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, that we were broken by sin, Christ died for us. And because we're secure in that, we can live out an excellence that honors God and inspires people. So identity, security, the third one, with you on well, please. This settles the question of value. Guys, if Jesus would have found his value in anything other than the Father, whoo, that would have been B-A-D bad. You talking about saying U-G-L-Y, you ain't got no alibi? That's ugly if Jesus didn't go to the cross. All right? Ephesians 2.10, your value, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Oh, guys, I love these words from here and now in the book, uh, The Life of the Beloved. He says this. Go ahead and put that up there. Over the years, I've come to realize that the greatest trap in our life is not success, popularity, or power, but self-rejection. Success, popularity, and power can indeed present a great temptation, but their seductive quality often comes from the way they're part of the much larger temptation to self-rejection. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved, that calls us the beloved. And because of this, this reality of who I was, I took action. I took action because previously I was living in the cycle of grief. Put up the cycle of grief. The cycle of grief is where we start off an achievement, where we, we, we provide ourselves with an identity. Then we move to our identity where our sense of significance is dependent on what we achieve. So we push on to drivenness. We're driven to, uh, to achieve more, to make ourselves acceptable to others and ourselves. Then we go to acceptance, which is temporary and fragile, which leads us back to achievement. No, 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 no. God has called us to a cycle of grace. In the cycle of grace, we start with acceptance in God. We then move to sustenance, where God provides resource. Listen, Leadership for transformation. There's a reason why we're doing inner, outer, and corporate disciplines. This is part of the sustenance that God pours in us, and it helps us to understand our identity, which leads to achievement through service and loving obedience. As we change these things, listen, when, when I met Lance, my life was tore up from the floor. I was jacked up. 
And when I told my track coach, Tanner, I'm going to win state, he said, Miles, if I can teach you to throw the javelin, I can teach anybody. And I had an awareness that I wasn't good. And in track and life, I took action, and I changed the attitude that I was coming with. I changed the crew that I was running with, and I changed the goals that I was living with. And as I changed these, it changed the trajectory of my life. Lane Ford said this, remember, God is an artist. He will not lead you to copy someone else. Seek him for the unique vision in this place. Because as a pastor, as a professor, as a business consultant more, I've seen when one is not clear on this that it can lead to devastating results from the three temptations that we all face. I'm going to need to be short on these. What is resilience? Resilience is the capacity to withstand or to recover quickly from difficulties. Why do we need it? Because change is a constant. Or to put it another way, the only person who likes change is a baby with a dirty diaper. All right? And after reading Matthew 3.17, this is my son, whom I love with him, I'm well pleased, Jesus experiences immediate change. Chapter 4, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. You think? No Cub, no Sam's, no Costco. And the tempter comes to him and he says, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into loaves of bread. Notice something. Take note of this. In verse 17 of chapter 3, it says, this is my son. In chapter 4, verse 3, put the slide up. It says, if you're the son of God, the devil always attacks you in your sense of identity first. It's where he attacks you. And Jesus responds and says, it is written, man should not live by bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. He comes from the word of God. Guys, we're not just encouraging you to make this book your heart. Bible says, do not let the book of the Lord depart from you. Don't turn aside left or right. Then your way will be successful and you will be prosperous. So the temptation, number one, that happens that we face is personal comfort. Number two, the temptation to personal popularity. In verses five and six, the devil takes Jesus to the top of the temple. It's looking 450 feet above the Kedron Valley. And he tells him, Jesus, jump. Because there's a prophesy in Malachi 3.1 that if you jump, the angels will grab you. He's basically saying this. Hey, Jesus, jump off the temple. Do your best Iron Man. Come down and everyone's going to be like, we love you, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The third one is this, the temptation to personal power and possession. In verse 4, he says, the devil says, takes him to a mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world, and he says, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. He's saying, Jesus, I can accomplish God's will for you. You can have all the kingdoms of the world. Now, this, of course, means you don't go to the cross. And I want you to notice something. We will all worship something. And what you worship and I worship might be slightly different because I want you to notice the devil said this, all of these things. So the question for you this morning is what is your all of these things? All right, because the truth, Ruth, is this. Jesus says to him, be gone, Satan. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Here's the truth. The devil does not just want you to worship him. He wants you to serve him. Listen, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to be kept. And it'll cost you so much more than you ever, ever, ever imagined you'll have to pay. So why do you need resilience? 
Because you're either currently coming out of a trial, you're in a trial, or you're sure enough about to go into one. So wherever you're at on the continuum, this applies to you. And this trusting God. But some of you might be looking at me this, this, this morning, and you're saying to yourself, David, you don't know me. You don't know me. If you've only knew that I've tried, and it's not worth trying anymore. Matter of fact, I'm not worth it. You're right. I don't know you. But I know, know this, that God spared my life to give me a couple of breaths and a second chance to stand in front of you this morning and tell you that you're lovable, you're capable, that you're worthwhile. And God sent his only son to shed his eternal blood for you. Matter of fact, do me this favor. Hold up your thumb. Look at your thumb. Your thumb, not my thumb. Look at your thumb. Your thumb. Okay? See these ridges on your thumb? They're formed at three months inside your mother's womb. Even if you had an identical twin, you guys would have different thumbprints. You know what that means? That out of the 7.8 billion people on the face of this planet and the many, many, many more, there's only one of you. You literally are amazing. And guys, God can use your greatest hurt, pains, and disappointments to become your greatest impact in helping other people. Oh, yeah, oh, God, like, you know, seriously, what do you know? Listen, don't believe me? Don't believe me, trials? This summer, I had my summer plan. It did not include two hospitalizations and two surgeries, including a surgery to take out what they called an organized clot out of my bladder the size of a racquetball. You see, as Myron Golden, Bible teacher, said, you'll have to go through some stuff to get through some stuff. There's no destiny without difficulty. There's no strength without struggle. There's no advancement without adversity. And if you want to get to something without going through something, you're only going to frustrate yourself for the rest of your life. And looking back to this summer, broken hand, all this stuff, lots of pain, I'm actually thankful to God for it. And realize that God can use pain, suffering, adversity to become your greatest friends if you let it. Matter of fact, I have a saying this, that my adversity is the fertilizer to God's future harvest in my life. Someone needs to hear this this morning, that your adversity is the fertilizer to God's future harvest in your life. And what's the purpose of a harvest but to feed other people? You see, you have to understand this morning, the only reason why I'm standing in front of you today is not because I'm cool, but it's because of the adversity in my life and the way that Jesus has shown up. And that we're trying to express and say to you here that we're not just doing intellectual and mental gymnastics. This Jesus that you serve is real and he loves you. When I received my master's, <laughs> I was selected by my fellow students in the administration to give the keynote. And as I stood at the base of the stairs, looking to come up, tears in my eyes, I thought back to the morning after my suicide attempt. When I woke up and I, I looked around the room and I said to myself, I'm still here. Even growing up in a family with alcoholism where all my siblings became alcoholics but me, and my entire family is now past. I'm still here. Through chronic seizure disorders, which would vanish, I'm still here. Through racism, betrayal, and being seen as less than, I'm still here. Through two hospitalizations and surgeries, I'm still here. 
through all of it and more and being seen as less than, I'm still here. But not only that, you're still here. When you wake up in the morning, say, I'm still here. When you lost that friend or family, come on, y'all say, I'm still here. When you had to move again, say, I'm still here. When you had to transfer schools, say, I'm still here. Through betrayal and all things, say, I'm still here. Through all of it and more, say, Say, I'm still here. Say, I'm still here. Say, I'm still here. Look at your neighbor. Say, you're still here. So look at your neighbor. You're still here. Say, you're still. Look at everybody. Say, we're still here. Say, we're still here. Everybody, that's my time. Pastor David Miles, so good to be with you. And just like you, I'm still here. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Bless them as they go. Amen. Praise God.